God's wish that us, his people, would never, ever consider planet Earth our home. And we just pass through. But look at what we store up for ourselves. And when the Bible tells us to store treasure in heaven, yet we store all kinds of stuff for ourselves here on Earth. We don't live simply. Some of us are in in such debt up to our ears that it's impossible to live simply. We have to become slaves to jobs and money. Saul settles into his role as the king of Israel. He is confronted with his first true test of character. He raises a meager army and sets up camp against Israel's enemies, the Philistines, and waits. He was given explicit instructions not to engage the enemy until Samuel came to pray and offer a sacrifice to God before battle. As the people waited, though, Saul's armies began to be overcome with fear, fleeing and hiding from the coming battle. In today's message, Pastor Mark will help prepare us to handle something we all have to decide on a regular basis, obedience or compromise. How will you respond? Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 13 with today's edition of Come Alive. 1 Samuel chapter 13 verse 1 says, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel. And a thousand were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin, and the rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. So here, let's go on to verse uh, 3. And Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in uh, Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And now all of Israel heard it and said, Saul had attacked a garrison of the Philistines, that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines, and the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. Now, what's taking place here? Well, Jonathan, obviously, we see is wiping out uh, the Philistines. Saul was around blowing the trumpet and taking the glory and announcing that he had beaten the Philistines. When, when we read and see that it was actually Jonathan. Now, the other part could be, well, yeah, you know, the United States would take credit for our army beating somebody else's army, though maybe we wouldn't give credit to the whatever something first airborne. I wasn't in the military, so I wouldn't know how all that works. But you could say that, but it's not, because here's what happened. Saul obviously told Jonathan to do this, and there's a clear indication of Saul's heart here, and, and we can see how his heart began to wander, and it has gone so far as, as to, to do this wandering. And um, so if you take a look at verse 1, in verse 1 it says, Saul reigned one year, and then it says, and then he reigned a second year. Well, what that means in the original language is it's so short, it means he did absolutely nothing his first year. This is just a ruler, and you're like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. what about Nahash? That was one good thing before he kind of like the in-between being the king and being chosen as the king um, by the people. But his first year, basically, he does nothing. And he started with a big bang, 
but there's nothing after that. You could say he was kind of like up to this point a one-hit wonder. Verse 2, he chose for himself. When we see that phrase, he chose for himself. And this is his second year. He's going to do his own thing. He starts to do his own thing. Before, he was kind of this humble guy, and the Lord comes upon him, and then now all of a sudden he chose for himself. We, we see that he kind of puts his hands on things. There, there's no record of prayer in this, and no record of communicating with God, and, and so no record that God is leading him to choose the men. We don't see this. In the original language, it implies that he did nothing in that first year of his reign, and then he chooses men for himself. And so we have to step back and take a look. How did he choose the men for himself? How would you choose people for a job or a task? Well, if I came with a resume and it was for that task and I had experience in that, we could say, yeah, Hey, we'd love to have you. That's how I choose people who work for me in the lawn care business based off of experience. And not all the time does that work out. I would rather have somebody who knew absolutely nothing and teach them everything rather than somebody show up with all their shortcuts, mistakes, and problems, which happens quite often. But he chose for himself. A very human perspective is the way he chose and when you look across the crowd and try to find the strongest and the smartest is probably what he did. Saul's so thinking is, I got the best, I got the good looking, and the rest of you can go home. Because he sends the rest of them home. But we know that God chooses people differently. According, and you can say, well, you know how? First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26. If you want to turn there, you can look at it or you can just take note. Paul says, look around in that chapter, in that verse. He says, just look around how many wives are in the church from the world standards. And we could look around and say, well, you know, there's some of us that are pretty smart. But do we look that way? Are we smart according to the world standards? And there's a few of us here that are. But, you know, according to the world standards, we're really not. Because you're in this building listening to a Bible study that you feel that is true, hopefully. And it's the truth. And when we look around, for the most part, you see some pretty common people, which is great. Most of us don't come from nobility, and that's what I mean by common. None of us are kings or queens. Most of us are just real down-the-earth people, down-to-earth people, just getting by. And so in verses 27 and 28 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul again addresses the Corinthians, and here's what God does. He says he can choose anyone and do a great work. Those foolish things of the world, right? And so he can do a great work, and usually those of no reputation. Why? Why would he do that? Well, so God can get the glory. Because if we choose the most experienced person, the brightest person, the best person, the one who's got the the qualifications that are unending, then that would lead us to think that this person did it and God wouldn't get the glory. So if he chooses someone that's just kind of plain, that really doesn't have experience, that's never really done this before, and they take off and do well, then we know that God would get the glory. All right, so back to 1 Samuel. If you've turned to 1 Corinthians, turn back to 1 Samuel. And we see that Saul isn't ready to give glory to God. He's been disconnected for a while. Look at verse 3 with me again. It says, And Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Now, 
we're going to see a little bit of a problem, and I'm going to address it here, and then we're going to come back to it. But the word for attack in this is, is, implies that he was very brutal. And you might think, well, Mark Ward's brutal. True. I would agree 100%. But in these times, there's a right way to go to war and a wrong way to go to war. And even in our times, there's a right way to go to war and a wrong way to go to war. And if you look at the book of Joshua where the Lord says, oftentimes, before you attack, you always gave your enemy an opportunity to surrender. But what Saul does here is, you know, but think about this. Even evil Nahash, what did he do? Walked up, knocked on the door, and said, hey, we're going to attack. And they said, okay, can you give us seven days? And they said, yes. That would be a fair way to fight. And you might think, well, it's war. I mean, who? But you have to do it fair. You have to give those people an opportunity to surrender. And you might think, well, that's not cool. Well, doesn't God do that? He shows up with a bunch of Christians that say, hey, let me present this message to you before I unfold my wrath upon you. God does that. And if Jesus is God and we believe that and we're called to be Christ-like, wouldn't that be the right way to do things? Is just to, hey, be a little fair before we attack to go before the Lord. And so here's what happens. Evil Nahash was fair. They'd go to a tribe. You would take your army. You'd go to a tribe or a people that you wanted to fight. And you'd say, hey, tomorrow we're going to come against you and your men. We want to meet you in this battlefield. We want to meet you in this place. And we're going to go for it. And at Saul's direction, it was an ambush. It was an ambush. And it was, it was a horrible ambush. Why? Well, in verse 4, it tells us Israel had become an abomination. Look at verse 4. Now all Israel heard it said that Saul had attacked a garrison of the Philistines and that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines. And you might think, well, they're their enemy. They're trying to harm them. They're trying to get them to worship idols. And of course, God, you know, but I don't understand why is this happening. Hold on. Don't be fighting with me so early on in the study. We'll get there. We'll get there. But he becomes an abomination. But it's interesting that Saul calls his own people Hebrews. Hebrews. I found that very interesting because I was like, that's weird. You know, you don't really see that happening. And you're like, well, they're called Hebrews everywhere, but not by their own people, always by foreigners. Always by foreigners. When he says, let the Hebrews hear, it's as if Saul is making a declaration. He's making some type of declaration here. The word Hebrew in this time meant passing through or sojourner. Sojourner. Sojourning over. Their enemies called them Hebrew, and the implication is the reason they called them Hebrew is because it was kind of like, it it wasn't a good word. I mean, it wasn't a bad word, but it wasn't a good word. It's because they didn't have a land or a home. As sojourners, and so they were called the Hebrews, and, and that was back in those times. So you call yourself children of God that, that hasn't provided a land for you, and that's kind of like how the implication, so really you're the children of God, and if your God can't provide for you, I mean, how great is he, I and mean, what kind of God do you have? So Hebrew would be that. Saul knew this word Hebrew carried some contempt, and, and he used it to try and rally the people. And I'm sure he was sitting there saying, they're calling you Hebrews. And he's trying to get the people to be, oh, we're mad, we're angry. We do have a land and we're going to take it and they're in it and we're going for it. And so 
basically what's happening is you once were called Hebrews, he's saying. But since I came along and beat Nahash and just recently beat some of these Philistines with my son Jonathan and his army, we no longer want to be seen as a people without a land, do you? And so he's trying to rally the people. And so he wanted to gather the people together, and that's how he does it. And now it's only negative from Saul's perspective. It's only a negative from Saul's perspective. I think it is God's wish that us, his people, would never, ever consider planet Earth our home. We just pass through, but look at what we store up for ourselves. And when the Bible tells us to store treasure in heaven, yet we store all kinds of stuff for ourselves here on Earth. We don't live simply. Uh, Some of us are in, in such debt up to our ears that it's impossible to live simply. We have to become slaves to jobs and money. And so, again, God doesn't want planet Earth to become our home. Also note who won the battle. Again, Jonathan and who blew the horn, his dad. You guys know anybody that blows their own horn? There's somebody who does all that hard work for you at work or around you, and, and, or you do it for them, and all of a sudden they're blowing their horn going, yeah, well, you know, it's like it might be your boss, and, and you get no credit. And so... Saul loves the attention. Saul loves attention. Be very careful of people who love a lot of attention, who need to be the one. This is how you can usually tell. You're talking to somebody, and you're telling them something about you, and they're listening to you for about 10 seconds, and they're like, yeah, but hey, you know, today I was doing this, or yesterday I did this, or it was all about, and you're just like, man, you know, we weren't really talking about you. I was telling you a story about what happened to me, and and I'm willing to listen to your story, but that's cool. Go ahead, jump in any time since we're playing that game. And you listen, and you're like, so let me finish. And you start to finish, and they're like, yeah. And then the other day I was at, and you're just like, really, bro? It's kind of hard to talk to you because you just keep talking over me about you, and I can tell you you're your own favorite person. So you know what? I'm just going to leave you here with your favorite person, and you guys kind of hang out, and I'm going to go over here and do my own thing. And so you leave. So be careful with those guys who really love that attention. He's one of those people that cannot stand when people are not talking about them. I had um, one time experienced a person like this, and I, I was showing somebody. I said, watch, watch how this guy reacts when you tell a story about him. And, and he was like, really? I was like, yeah. I go, he drives me crazy because it's all about him. And he was just this guy that used to hang out at this house I used to live in in Albuquerque. And so I'd be like, hey, man, remember that day when you, and the minute he heard you and saw people were listening he was all about it, you know. And then when you change subjects to someone else, he was just kind of like, he literally would just kind of look at the ceiling like, I wonder what I can think about now. And then you would talk about him again, be like, hey, and then me and so-and-so did that. And he'd be like, oh, in there, yeah, tell him that one. Or the guy that comes up, hey, tell him that story about when you and me did this. And it's like, well, well that was all you. I was just kind of there watching. Oh, yeah, go ahead. It's a good story. Why? Because I'm in it. <laughs> It's the best. Man, don't we love that? Don't we love that? Be careful when, when you get, don't be that person. Try not to be that person. I, I know, we all like to have attention. There's nothing wrong with it. But when you get to be known as the guy or the girl that needs it all the time, be careful. Be careful. Examine yourself. So we'll see more of this happening from Saul later. Some people that claim Christianity will toss behind them good, godly character for greedy gain. Anybody know anyone that's like that? They take that godly character. You know, you, you, sometimes you see the little business card, and it's got the ichthus on it. That's the little Christian fish. And it says, you know, 
Christian. It's got a little verse on there, and, and you hire the guy, and he rips you off. And you're just like, seriously? You know, really? And, and I usually stay away from people like that. One, one day we had a guy come in here to, to give us a, a bid for something, and um, he was like, oh, I'm a Christian. And he gave me his card, and I was like, oh, brother, you just lost the work. <laughs> you know, you're not, we're just going to let you bid it. And I told, I told him, I said, you know, I, I don't know, man. I, I, there's somebody else that's going to do it. And then I had another guy, uh, we were talking about building a little coffee shop wall, and he came in, he goes, hey, I'm a Christian. Just buy the material, and, and I'll do it for whatever, whatever, you know, whatever you want to pray. Maybe $300. I was like, all right, cool, man. So I was talking to one of the guys here at church, and they said, man, don't pay that guy. We'll just all get a bunch of volunteers, and we'll do it ourselves. So the guy calls and goes, hey, have you thought about what you want to do? And I said, you know, we're going to use some guys from the church. Bro, they're not going to do a good job. I'm like, man, they, they do excellent work. I, I was like, I got a couple of perfectionists in the, in, in the tool bag, and, man, they're, they pretty much drive each other crazy, and, and they kind of keep each other checks and balance, and they'll do good work. Oh, I don't know, man. I was like, well, let me ask you this. you have insurance? Who needs insurance? I was like, well, in case you break something. No, uh, you don't need insurance. I'm not going to break anything. I'm the best. I was like, all right, man. Hey, you know what? I'll call you back later and just kind of called him a few days later and said, we're going to go with someone else. We're going to go with the guys from the church because free is better. Can you do it for free? He's like, oh, man, no way. I need to make a living. I was like, I understand. I understand. So I don't want to block up your time with you giving us some kind of charity work, and it looks like charity work. You know, it's like, really? Uh, how, you forgot to put a, you, the doors upside down, bro. I mean, nobody's going to grab the handle down here and try to get in, and it doesn't make sense. You know, whoa, that's going to be extra. I charge you extra to come back out and do the work. That happens. Be careful. Don't be those people. So, again, Saul calls him Hebrews, kind of says, hey, I'm, I'm doing this. He blows his own horn. We see the greedy gain, and and. When you see Christians that do that for greedy gain, they're a poor representation of God, of Christ. Look at verse 5 with me. It says, Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horses. Okay, can you, anybody do math real quick? 30,000 chariots, the Philistines. Saul's got how many? Three tops. But they're the best. But, they're, but I mean, when you think about it, you're like, really? So all these people, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of Beth-Avim. So you're like, whoa, you got 3,000 people that are going to take care of this? Can 3,000 people take care of this? Can God do all things? Yes, he certainly can. He could, he could win with the 3,000. He could literally win. But do you see what's happening here? When you're disconnected with God, when there's that disconnection, when you're not praying, when you're not communicating with God, when you're not hanging out with him, you have a perverted perspective, so to speak, about what you see and what life looks like. See, instead of Saul going to God and saying, who do I choose for my army? He chose. He chose. And so he's got this perverted perspective that, oh, that's all I need. Really, Saul? The sand on the seashore? 30,000, 6,000, do the math. It's not going to be good. But with God, all things are possible. And so Saul 
doesn't consult God. He gathers 3,000, looks at the rest, and he says, I don't need you. And Saul kind of is like looking out there, and he's probably like, oy vey, what is going on with all these people? And again, don't we do this in our own lives? We'll pick a fight or we'll start a war we shouldn't be waging. We'll pick a fight or start a war we shouldn't be waging. Saul's freedoms and sins had a grave effect on the Israelites. And we're going to see what that effect is. If he would have just taken those gray area things in his life, those, well, you know, this is what I want to choose, God, and these are the guys I'd like to choose, and I'd like to bring this to you and and have you take a look at what I think is going to be best. But yet he took those gray area things and he said, hey, I got these freedoms. I'm going to go ahead. I'm the king. The people chose me, and, 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 and I've seen God work through me with Nahash. I was behind a plow, and we won. We beat them, and I've done some great things, but here's these gray areas now, God. And God might have said, hey, no, 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 don't do it that way. But he just takes those gray area freedoms, and he wages a war. And, and, and so Saul looks at a massive enemy's army and says, I'm my own man. I don't need to run everything by God. I got my men and I feel pretty good. I got, you know, those people that when people argue with them and, and they're kind of like standing there and then they look to their buddy and they're like, how dare you? You know that guy's wrong, right? And that guy's just a yes man. Oh, yeah, dude, you're right. Right on, brother. Go for it. He doesn't have your back. How do I know? Because the Bible tells us right here that these guys don't even have Saul's back. In a little while, we're going to see how they start to get scared. And so, look at verse 6. When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves and thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. I don't know about you, last time you were scared like that as an adult, you ran to hide in a hole or in a thicket. But I can tell you, I've been through thicket. Just recently. And you know what a thicket is? Well, it's like a, it's a thorn bush. And when you're calling that thorn bush more comfortable than just being out in the open, there's a big problem. When you would rather sit in a hole or a pit, there's a problem. There's a huge problem taking place. Look at these guys. They're scared. This could be a picture of any one of our homes. Any one of our homes or your life. Uh, Maybe you went out and you bit off more than you could chew. That's kind of what Saul has done. Bit off a little more than he can chew Uh, by getting that new thing that you thought you could afford, that you planned and didn't think that this other thing could come up and just gobble up your money. Thank you for tuning in again today to Come Alive. Pastor Mark will have much more to teach us from this study of 1 Samuel when you join us next time. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mark, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search for Come Alive in your app store or on iTunes. Before our time is through with you today, though, Tracy would like to tell you how you can be a part of the ministry of Come Alive. Come Alive and radio programs like it are powerful tools that God is using to advance His gospel message here on earth. And we know that God is blessing many through the ministry of this broadcast. We want to make sure we keep God at the center of what we're doing, and that's where you come in. Would you keep Come Alive, Pastor Mark, and those who have heard this program today in your prayers? Your intercession on our behalf 
is greatly appreciated. Thanks, Tracy. Another way you can be involved is through financial support. Here at Come Alive, we rely on the kindness of donations to be able to provide you with quality produced programs. We'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider donating and want you to know that any amount is useful and greatly appreciated. Find out more at comealiveradio.com or you can text a donation to Calvary Katie at 77977. That's 77977. Thank you for bringing this matter before the Lord and thank you for being a part of our listening audience today on Come Alive.